Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Let's talk about drugs today. So, interesting thing is amphetamine toxicity. Uh, the interesting thing about amphetamine toxicities is that we always think about the fact that there are methamphetamines, right? They're like, it's the first thing that people jump to. They're like, ah, oh, the dog's on meth. But the majority of the time, we actually see the legal drugs that they're on, not Ill- illegal drugs. Like it's pretty rare that we actually see an amphetamine toxicity that's actually from methamphetamine. They're more likely going to be from other things. So we're going to kind of talk about like what those other drugs are, kind of what to watch for, what symptoms to look for, the like how long does it take for to to like show signs and for those signs to go away when the pet should be brought in, and then what do we do for it? All right. So just to jump in, we have two types of drugs, like I was saying. Amphetamines come in a legal form and an illegal form. So the legal form are usually going to be things like ADD or ADHD medications. So the common names for these are going to be like Adderall, which is dextroamphetamine with amphetamines. There's D-amphetamine, which that name is Dexedrine, Dexedrine, I'm not 100% sure how to say all these, so don't quote me on this. You have other methamphetamines that are legal, that is called desoxin, and then I'm probably going to butcher this one, lisdexamphetamine, there we go, which is also called vivinase. So these are all just like different types of ADHD or ADD medications. And there are definitely other ones like my son is on one and it's none of these, but still a very close derivative of these. It's also used for other things like weight loss. Like usually people will take it to try to help themselves lose weight because they have that really high metabolism and it also suppresses your appetite. So they will use it for weight loss. And narcolepsy. So it also, again, like keeps your metabolism up. It's kind of like having coffee just in your system constantly. Like you don't have that decline after your coffee is done, right? Like you're like just constantly having coffee in your system. So people will use it for narcolepsy so that that way they can stay awake. And then there's the illegal drugs like we were just talking about. So illegal drugs are usually going to be the illegal methamphetamines, so the ones that are actually like made in a meth house, which are usually like cut with a lot of different things, not just like pure methamphetamine. There's crystal meth and there's ecstasy. All right, what do these drugs do? So there's something called a sympathomimetic. So what that means is that they act on the sympathetic nervous system. When we think about the sympathetic nervous system, we're thinking about like fight or flight. So if you are worried that a lion is going to be chasing you, you are probably not going to stop to eat because you're hungry. You know, if you are worried that a lion is chasing you, your digestive system is not working properly. Like it is making you go, go, go. You want to run away from that lion as fast as possible. So that's kind of what you're, what it is trying to be like. It's trying to be like your sympathetic nervous system to try to make you go into that fight or flight mode. You're going to try to run away from that lion. It also stimulates the serotonin and norepinephrine. So serotonin is usually pretty well known, like you need it for being like feeling happy, um, not having anxiety, things like that. 
It's And this is also very similar to SSRIs. So a lot of those antidepressants that make you happy are usually an SSRI, or otherwise known as a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And I'll do a separate podcast on those. There's quite a lot of them, so we'll we'll kind of do that down the line. But um, like I said, this usually makes you concentrate, makes you happy, makes your metabolism really go really quickly, makes you want to run away from that lion. So all of those clinical signs are the things that you're going to think about with like running away from that lion. So things like your heart rate is going to be really fast. You're going to be really agitated. Um, your blood pressure is going to be really high, things like that. All right, how long until clinical signs occur? So let's say we know that the dog or cat ingested um, maybe Adderall. A lot of times it's it's absorbed into the GI system very quickly if it's just the regular type of Adderall or the regular type of amphetamine, so not the extended release. So they're usually absorbed very quickly and you can actually start to see symptoms within 15 minutes of ingestion, especially if the dog or cat has an empty stomach. It is very quick that you're going to see those those signs. Let's say maybe they have a full stomach. It might be a little bit longer, maybe 30 minutes before you start seeing those clinical signs, but they're still relatively quick. And their peak concentration, so meaning like the highest point that it's going to get to is usually within one to two hours of ingesting it. So again, like super fast acting. All right, let's say this was a extended release one. A lot of times it'll say like Adderall X or Adderall XR. Those actually, we don't 100% know like how quickly it takes into effect. We just know that it's longer than with the regular Adderall. You know, it's going to take longer to absorb, but it also means that the half-life or the amount of time that it's going to be in the system is a lot longer as well. So maybe it takes a little while for it to get in the system. So maybe let's say like maybe six hours or four hours, but it's going to last for a lot longer than that regular Adderall would. So maybe that regular Adderall lasts for, like with my kid, I'm going to say it's like about uh, 12-ish hours. Now with the extended release Adderall, that's going to last for maybe like 24 hours. It could last for a lot longer. I. What are the clinical signs? So we kind of already talked about these, right? Like a lot of these are things that you're going to be worrying about when you run away from a lion, but I'm going to break it down into like the different types of body systems. So with the CNS or central nervous system, you're going to see things like agitation, something called mydriasis. Mydriasis means that they have really dilated pupils. You're going to see tremors and even seizures with this. The cardiovascular system, it's going to cause tachycardia, so a high heart rate. It'll cause hypertension, so high blood pressure. And then for the gastrointestinal, so our GI system or stomach, intestines, things like that, it could cause vomiting, it could cause diarrhea, and it does usually cause hypersalivation or tylism is the other name for that. But it just means that they're just like constantly drooling all the time. For the respiratory system, it usually causes panting. And one thing that I've seen very frequently that's not usually listed in, in the papers for clinical signs is I see aggression. They become 
extremely aggressive because of that agitation. I had one lady who brought in her dog who, like, they, she didn't know what the dog had gotten into. She just said that her dog had googly eyes. And I was like, googly eyes? What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, look at his eyes. He has googly eyes. Like, I don't, like, it's not like the Google eyes. Like, you know, they're not like bouncing around in his head. So after like seeing this dog, the dog was like becoming extremely aggressive towards the lady. And she's like, he's not like this. He usually comforts me. He's usually on my lap. He is not like this. This is weird. And I was like, is there any way that your dog could have gotten into any drugs? And she was very upset that I even asked about that. But then I said, I'm sorry, let me be more specific. Is there any way that your dog could have gotten into any medications such as Ritalin or Adderall, things like that? And she said, oh, yes, my son takes Ritalin. I was like, great. I think that that's what your dog has gotten into. We did a drug test and the googly eyes were all because the dog had gotten into Ritalin. So some of those weird clinical things, clinical signs that you're going to see there. How long do these last for? So typically, depending on whether this is the extended release or the regular release, but it's usually going to last for anywhere between 24 to 72 hours with treatment. Okay. Now, when should we tell them to bring their pets in? Because we said these signs are really quick. It can last for about 24 to 72 hours. Like, can't they just like watch them at home, right? Well, not necessarily. So when we find out that they've gotten into it, like if somebody saw the dog eat it or the cat eat it, we want to bring them in immediately to try to make them vomit. Dogs, we're going to give them either the clever drops or we're going to give them apomorphine to make them vomit. Cats are a lot harder. Uh, I know I've said this before, but cats are very difficult to make vomit. If we want them to vomit, they will not vomit. And if we don't want them to vomit, they will always vomit. So, you know, we try to give things like Dexdomator to try to help make them vomit. Does it work? Mm, like I said, really like it's a 50-50 chance, but we always want to try to get them to vomit if possible. If we don't know if they had ingested anything, but you start hearing some of these signs, you know, the pet is really agitated, it can't sit down, its eyes are really big, uh, maybe it's having like severe panting and it's drooling. We want to have them just come in immediately so we can assess them and kind of figure out if maybe they could have gotten into some amphetamines. If they aren't sure like which pill the dog could have gotten into, like a lot of times people will just accidentally drop something on the floor and they're like, I don't know, I know it was a white oval pill. Then it might be that they can Google real quick on Pill Finder to try to figure out like what kind of pill it is or even call poison control, you know, with Adderall and Ritalin and stuff being so readily available. Unfortunately, that's very easy for them to, for like a kid to be taking their medication and a pill fall. And this doesn't even have to be inside the house. It might be outside of the house, but if somebody could like see that it was a pill and kind of like give a general description, then it might be a little bit easier for them to figure out like what kind of pill it was. And if not, we start looking at those symptoms, you know, we see that they, we know that they got into a pill, but we see that they're having this agitation and these, this mydriasis or the big eyes, or we start seeing that they have tremors and we can kind of guess as to which medication it potentially was. 
And even better, doing a drug test. You know, do a drug test to be able to tell, like, was it amphetamines? And most of these will have actually a difference between amphetamines and methamphetamines. So usually the methamphetamines, if that's positive, then yes, it did get into probably an illicit drug. Um, I mean, like I said, there is one methamphetamine that's on there, but most of the time it's going to be an illegal drug. Versus if it says just amphetamines, then a lot of times that's going to be a drug like Ritalin or Adderall. All right, so tell them to come in so we can get them started on treatment immediately, get them to vomit. And now with treatment, one thing to know is that there is no antidote for this. Like there's not like a pill that I can give them to stop all the symptoms and to make their symptoms go away. So a lot of times this means that we just have to treat them symptomatically. So usually, like I said, we induce emesis or make them vomit. We usually give them activated charcoal, at least one dose. So the charcoal helps to, well, we'll I'll say that they are not 100% sure, but they believe that charcoal is going to help either just kind of make sure the toxins are not absorbed in the body or push those out faster so that they're less likely to be absorbed. We're going to do sedation, especially for those dogs that are really agitated. If they have a really high heart rate and a really high blood pressure, then things like acepromazine are actually a really good go-to drug for the sedation. We do not want to give trazodone in most of these cases because of the fact that that is that also has a bit of serotonin in trazodone, and so we don't want to add to that. So we don't want to give trazodone. So acepromazine is a good one for this one. But let's say maybe their heart rate is really high, but their blood pressure is really low. Sometimes just giving fluids or even giving propranolol. Um, which is just something that can kind of help decrease that heart rate. They might be that might be given instead of using something like acepromazine, which drops their heart rate and drops their blood pressure. We're gonna want to do things for their thermoregulation. So we had just talked before on the the other episode about how when we're waking pets up from anesthesia, their hypothalamus is not working, which is kind of like their thermostat in their brain. And with this drug, actually, that does the same thing. It stops the hypothalamus from working. And so a lot of times they're going to be really hot or really cold. Most of the time they're going to be more hot than cold because of the tremoring and stuff. But it can definitely go either way because their thermostat or their hypothalamus is not working correctly. So we want to help them regulate their body temperature giving them IV fluids. So we're going to give them fluids to try to help cool them down if they're hot. But also we want to try to help just flush it out of their system as much as possible. So that way we don't have to worry about as much being absorbed. Checking their blood pressure. Again, like for sedation and stuff, we need to make sure that the blood pressure is either high or adequate and not that it's low because we need to figure out how to adjust it accordingly. Doing the ECG, so this is the hardest one, I feel like, because the fact that the dogs are like zooming all around, you know, they're they're doing circles in their kennel because they just cannot sit still. And now you're trying to put the ECG on them and look at the ECG. You know, even if it's just doing a spot check ECG, just taking them out, holding them, 
waiting for the ECG to read to make sure that, that it looks normal, and then putting them back in. That's fine as well, you know, but we got to make sure that we're checking it to make sure that their heart rate is okay and that we're not having an arrhythmia because that is a life-threatening thing. We are going to be looking at their muscles to see if they need a muscle relaxant. So like maybe if they're having a lot of tremors, we might want to use something like methocarbamol. So it's a muscle relaxer to try to help with those muscle tremors so we don't start overheating. And then an anticonvulsant. So this one is a little bit tricky because usually our go-to for this is going to be phenobarbital. Um, value might actually make this worse. And I usually tell people that if you don't know what the dog had potentially gotten into or the cat potentially got into, don't use Valium or um, Midazolam. Because if you do, you might actually make the disease worse. And we don't want to do that. Because if our tremors get worse, then it's going to be really hard for us to control. So phenobarbital is usually the one that's used for this. I've definitely used Keppra as well for it, and that works just fine as well. And then we're going to use something called ciproheptadine, which is a serotonin agonist. So we're basically trying to do the opposite of what this drug, what amphetamines do to the brain. So we're giving them a medication to try to make sure that we have serotonin in the system. And then the last thing is something super cool. So there was this paper that was just published in, in a couple months ago in JAVMA, but it talked about how somebody used lipid therapy for it. This is the first time that somebody's done that. And if anybody's seen this, this is like a white bag that we give to them IV, and it's basically giving them fat inside their veins. Because what we found is amphetamines are very lipophilic, so they love fat, which is really interesting because think about like the kids who were on Adderall, like a lot of them are just um, skinny because they're running around all the time. You know, you have people who are on meth, like have you ever seen somebody who's been on meth who's fat? They're not. They're usually really skinny. So it's interesting that these this drug is so lipophilic when it's making the body not be fat. It's making them be skinny. But because of that, um, a lot of times when we're giving fluids, you know, we're flushing it out as much as possible, but the, the amphetamines don't want to go into anywhere that has water. They want to go to the areas that have a lot of fat to them, which is why it can stay in the system for so long. So they used this lipid therapy, so putting fat into the blood vessels to be able to help like draw it in, draw the amphetamines into that fat and get it out of their system faster. And that's what exactly what they found happened is that when they gave this, this, um, these lipids, typically it would take, like I said, up to 48 hours for symptoms to completely go away. And they found that within less than 24 hours, the dog had done much better, like within about 12 hours, it had done fantastic and was able to be discharged. And that was actually on a dose that was potentially a lethal dose for this dog. So I do think it's something that they're going to be looking into to kind of decide on whether we should use it or not. Um, I th- luckily, it's usually not a medication that's going to hurt them too much. Like It can have its downsides, but the majority of the time they do just fine on them. So it might be something that we're going to start looking into doing intralipids on these dogs and cats that end up getting into Ritalin and Adderall. If so, 
We also have to worry a little bit about it being on back order right now, but hopefully that that doesn't um, affect us too much. And luckily, their prognosis after all of this is pretty good. As long as they can get through all of this, then there's usually not any side effects from it. If they do start having really bad side effects like during it, so let's say they have an arrhythmia or they have a um, seizure, then maybe we have to worry about some brain damage because of those things. But um, in the majority of cases, like I said, they usually do just fine. And unfortunately, like with these, if their tremors are so bad or their seizures so, are so bad, it can cause death in these guys, which is why we do want them brought in pretty immediately if, um, if we do find out that they've gotten into it or we do show those symptoms. So try to get them in immediately so we can help these poor little methed out creatures out. All right. Well, I, I didn't anticipate this being kind of a shorter episode. I actually expected it to go a little bit over, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to tell my story real quick. So my funny story is not necessarily about me, but I was kind of involved in it. So when I was working as a technician in California, you know, drugs and stuff were not legal at that time. You couldn't use marijuana or anything. And I had the other technician who was kind of sort of the lead technician. It was really awkward time because it was just the two of us, but I was doing all the lead stuff, but she was named the lead technician. Anyways, but she had a cat that she brought in and I knew that she had had a party the night before because my girlfriend at the time went to this party. Okay. I had to work early though, so I knew that I couldn't go. So she went to this party and her cat comes in the next day and the cat is just crazy. I mean, just like flipping out, biting her, um, screaming in the carrier. We put it in the cage and it is just flipping out. And she was like, I don't know what's wrong with it. You know, she's talking to the doctor who is, owns the clinic and is like, I don't know what's wrong. She just freaked out and she's not stopped. She's, she's just constantly going. And so he at the time said, well, I think that maybe your cat's having like a stroke or something. Like, I'm worried that maybe, like, we might need to put your cat to sleep. And so she, so he, like, kind of goes and does something else. And so I, I asked her, I was like, is there any way that your cat could have gotten into drugs? She was kind of looked at me and she says, N no. I said, well, I mean, it's, it's acting very much like she's on drugs. Like pot or maybe some meth. And suddenly the technician says, um, I think I know what's wrong with her. I'm going to take her home now. And she left with the cat and like left me at the clinic by myself with the doctor. And the doctor comes back in. He's like, where did she go? And I said, oh, she, she just realized what's wrong with her cat. Um, she's just taking the cat home right now. And he's like, well, I'm very concerned that this cat is going to die. And I was like, I, I think it'll be better by tomorrow, unfortunately. <laughs> and when I went back home, I asked my girlfriend at the time, I was like, were there, were there like drugs at the, at the party? She's like, oh yeah, they were doing, they were like smoking pot and they were doing some, some meth, I think. And I was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, her cat, I think got into the meth. Ugh. That poor cat. Like, can you imagine your brain just like frying, not knowing what to do? 
I don't even know how much meth that cat got into. Luckily, the cat did okay. It didn't die. But uh, I would be very worried that it was going to die. And then afterwards, I had asked her later, like, if the cat really did get into something and how it was feeling. And she said that it was feeling much better and she was going to make sure that they did not keep the meth out next time. So, uh, just put your meth away, right? That's more of the story. All right, guys. If you have any questions, like I said, if you have any comments, you have anything that you want to learn about, um, email me, text me, find me in the hallways, whatever you want. I'm happy to do all of the, any, any podcast type that you want. And I think that next week that we're going to be doing fever versus hyperthermia and kind of what the difference is and what to do for the different ones. All right. Again, if you have any questions, let me know. Thanks, guys.